If you're enjoying this Crush Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Questions podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called the Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Ted O'Connell, one of the authors of Crush Step One, the ultimate USMLE Step One review, along with my co-authors, Ryan Pedigo and Thomas Blair. I am also the chief content officer for Inside the Boards. This is a Crush Step One podcast based on the second edition of our best-selling book. The goal is to provide you high yield and high quality audio content of the book to help you study on the go and reclaim some of the time in your day. This is Tom Blair, co-author of Crush Step 1, second edition, and this is part two of the musculoskeletal and rheumatology chapter. In this section, we'll talk about diseases of bone, starting with osteomyelitis. Osteomyelitis is an infection of bone caused by either direct inoculation, such as through penetrating trauma, continuous spread, such as through cellulitis, or hematogenous spread. Osteomyelitis is diagnosed by plain films or MRI. Of note, it's one of the few conditions that can raise an erythrocyte sedimentation rate higher than 100. Overall, Staph aureus is the most common causative organism, but some populations also deserve special mention. Patients with sickle cell disease are at risk for salmonella, osteomyelitis. Diabetic foot infections are at risk for pseudomonas or polymicrobial infection. Prosthetic joints are also at risk for Staph aureus, but Staph epidermidis may also be found. And after nail puncture through a rubber-soled shoe, pseudomonas is a concern. Okay, avascular necrosis, also called osteonecrosis. This is bone infarction due to insufficient blood flow, which causes pain at the affected site. Fractures are the most obvious cause due to direct vascular trauma. Steroid use and sickle cell crises are other commonly tested causes of avascular necrosis. The femoral head is most commonly affected, and we already discussed the case of a scaphoid fracture causing avascular necrosis. Osteoporosis. This is decreased bone density with normal bone architecture. It's defined as bone density greater than 2.5 standard deviations below that of a young healthy reference group. Bone density is measured by dual energy X-ray absorptiometry, a DEXA scan, and it expresses a T-score. Osteopenia is defined as a T-score between negative 1 and negative 2.5, 
and osteoporosis is defined as a T-score below negative 2.5. Patients may be asymptomatic, but are prone to fractures. Of note, vertebral compression fractures may lead to loss of height, kyphosis, and possibly back pain, with or without radiculopathy. Hip fractures are a particular concern because of their high mortality rate. Risk factors include age, smoking, female gender, and glucocorticoid use. Weight-bearing exercise is protective. Treatment may involve adequate intake of calcium and vitamin D, bisphosphonates inhibit osteoclast resorption of bone, and are also first-line pharmacotherapy. Osteomalacia. This is adult-onset vitamin D deficiency, causing bony pain, soft bones, and fractures. Low vitamin D leads to decreased serum calcium, which causes elevated parathyroid hormone. PTH, in turn, raises serum calcium at the expense of mineralized bone. Patients with fractures accompanied by malnutrition, malabsorption, or intestinal bypass should be considered for osteomalacia. Pertinent laboratory values can be deduced. Low vitamin D leading to low calcium, leading to elevated PTH, leading to low phosphate, caused by decreased renal absorption. Rickets, on the other hand, are a vitamin D deficiency in childhood. This leads to defective mineralization at the growth plate. Compromised bony stability may cause bowing of long bones, called genu verum. Osteogenesis imperfecta, also called brittle bone disease, is an autosomal dominant disorder of type 1 collagen leading to blue sclera, brittle bones, and hearing loss because of ossicle damage. The severity of the disease is highly variable, ranging from being fatal in utero to a mildly increased risk of fractures. Because these patients present with multiple fractures of different ages, your goal on step 1 may be to distinguish this condition from child abuse. Look for blue sclera as a hint. Achondroplasia this is an autosomal dominant form of dwarfism caused by mutation of fibroblast growth factor receptor 3, FGFR3. This receptor becomes constitutively active and results in paradoxical inhibition of longitudinal bone growth through endochondral ossification, making limbs comparatively shorter than the near-normal skull and trunk. Pituitary dwarfism, by comparison, causes proportional decrease in size caused by lack of growth hormone secretion. Paget disease of bone, also called osteitis deformans. Disorganized bone remodeling from increased osteoclast and osteoblast activity, which results in overgrowth of affected bone. Causes unknown, with genetics and environment playing a role. Most patients are asymptomatic. They may be diagnosed incidentally based on elevated alkaline phosphatase levels and radiographic abnormalities. Levels of serum calcium, phosphorus, and PTH are not affected. Symptoms include pain and deformity of affected bones. Complications include fractures, especially chalk stick fractures, nerve compression, such as hearing loss, and high-output heart failure from increased vascularity of bone. Patients are also at increased risk for osteosarcoma. Treatment is with bisphosphonates. Radiography may reveal cotton wool appearance of bone. Osteopetrosis, also called marble bone disease. Defective osteoclast resorption of bones secondary to carbonic anhydrase deficiency. Unopposed osteoblast activity leads to thickened, brittle bones that are prone to fracture. 
Invasion of bone marrow leads to pancytopenia and splenomegaly, secondary to extramedullary hematopoiesis. Osteitis fibrosis cystica. In this condition, elevated parathyroid hormone overstimulates osteoclast to resorb bone. Laboratory values can be deduced. Primary hyperthyroidism leads to elevated PTH, leading to elevated calcium, elevated alkaline phosphatase from bone resorption, and low phosphate from renal wasting. Substantial resorption of bone causes cyst-like brown tumors within the bone, consisting of fibrous tissue and woven bone without matrix. Polyostotic fibrous dysplasia. This is a problem of osteoblastic maturation, in which fibrous tissue forms instead of medullary bone. The result is painful, swollen bones that are prone to pathologic fractures. The ribs and femur are most commonly affected. These lesions can be confused with the brown tumors of osteitis fibrosis cystica, but the pathophysiology is different. McCune-Albright syndrome. Triad of polyostotic fibrous dysplasia, precocious puberty, and unilateral cafe au lait spots. Okay, that brings us to our section on rheumatology, and we're going to start with inflammatory arthritis. First up is rheumatoid arthritis. It's an autoimmune condition causing symmetric joint destruction. It presents as joint pain and stiffness, particularly of the metacarpophalangeal, metatarsophalangeal, and proximal interphalangeal joints, and also the wrist joints. Large joints in the cervical spine may also be involved. Symptoms are worse in the morning and improve with use. Decreased range of motion, joint effusions, and muscle atrophy may be present, along with swan neck deformity, boutonniere deformity, and ulnar deviation, or arthritis mutilans, also called the bag of bones deformity. There is a genetic association with HLA-DR4. Diagnosis is clinical, but rheumatoid factor and anti-cyclic citrullinated peptide, CCP antibody, may be helpful. Later in the disease, radiography reveals deformity, joint space narrowing, and erosions. Treatment is based on disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, particularly methotrexate. Tumor necrosis factor inhibitors are also commonly used. Flares can be treated with NSAIDs and or steroids. Systemic manifestations include fever, fatigue, anemia of chronic disease, and rheumatic nodules, which are subcutaneous nodules on extensor surfaces. Systemic lupus erythematosus, SLE. This is a relapsing and remitting autoimmune disease in which antibodies directly damage tissue by a type 2 hypersensitivity reaction or form destructive immune complexes, which is a type 3 hypersensitivity reaction. Patients have a collection of symptoms, which can include arthritis, fever, malar rash, oral and nasal ulcerations, photosensitivity, pleuritis, pericarditis, seizures, and psychosis. Immune deposits can also cause lupus glomerulonephritis and renal failure. Like many rheumatic conditions, lupus predominantly affects women 90% of the time, and African Americans are especially at risk. Diagnosis is based on a combination of clinical and laboratory findings that can be remembered by the mnemonic SOAP Brain MD. Serositis, such as pleuritis or pericarditis, oral ulcers, arthritis, photosensitivity, blood, that is anemia, leukopenia, or thrombocytopenia, 
renal disorders, anti-nuclear antibody positivity, immunologic phenomenon, such as anti-double-stranded DNA and anti-phospholipid antibodies, neurologic, such as psychosis or seizures, a malar rash, also called a butterfly rash, or a discoid rash. Lupus causes a false positive venereal disease research laboratory test, VDRL, result. So don't assume syphilis. A negative anti-nuclear antibody is very sensitive to rule out disease, and a positive double-stranded DNA is very specific to rule in lupus. Drug-induced lupus. This is a mild lupus syndrome with positive ANA and antihistone antibody. It can occur as a result of certain drugs such as hydralazine, which is an antihypertensive, and procainamide, which is antiarrhythmic. Sjogren's syndrome is an autoimmune lymphocytic inflammation of joints and exocrine glands causing arthritis, xerophthalmia, that is dry eyes, xerostomia, dry mouth, and parotid gland enlargement. Additionally, lack of salivary protection predisposes to dental caries and chronic inflammation predisposes to lymphoma. Diagnosis of Sjogren's syndrome is supported by the presence of anti-Rho and anti-La antibodies and rheumatoid factor. On biopsy, lymphocytic salivary gland infiltrate is also suggestive. Scleroderma is a rheumatic condition characterized by dysregulated matrix synthesis, causing collagenous deposition in tissues and blood vessels, causing luminal narrowing. Tissue is damaged directly by matrix deposition and by subsequent inflammation. Skin becomes thickened and taut, causing sclerodactyly and contractures. Diffuse systemic sclerosis is a subtype. Diffuse skin and organ involvement including skin, kidneys, scleroderma renal crisis, gastrointestinal dysmotility, and the most severe interstitial lung disease. Limited systemic sclerosis, Crest syndrome, is a different subtype. It's characterized by calcinosis, which is subcutaneous calcium hydroxyapatite deposition, Raynaud phenomenon, esophageal dysmotility, sclerodactyly, and telangiectasias. Anti-centromere antibody may be present. There's also a small risk for pulmonary disease. Okay, moving on to seronegative spondyloarthropathies. These conditions share common features of rheumatoid factor negativity, asymmetry, oligoarticular involvement, and association with the HLA-B27 allele. They have common extraarticular manifestations, including uveitis, rashes, and occasional GI symptoms. They are remembered by the acronym PAIR. P, psoriatic arthritis. A. Ankylosing spondylitis, I. Inflammatory bowel disease, and R. Reactive arthritis. For starters, psoriatic arthritis is an inflammatory peripheral arthritis that may arise in addition to the skin findings of psoriasis. Psoriasis is characterized by silver plaques and nail bed pitting. Distal interphalangeal joints are particularly affected, and fissures take on a characteristic sausage digit appearance called dactylitis. Radiography reveals a so-called pencil-in-cup deformity. Ankylosing spondylitis is Greek for bent spine, and this condition begins with a sacroiliac joint stiffness and progresses up the spinal column. The pathophysiology involves inflammatory cells causing cartilage destruction 
and pannus formation, leading to joint space fusion called ankylosis. Uveitis is the most common extraarticular manifestation. Diagnosis is made based on sacroiliac tenderness, lower back pain that is worse in the morning and improves with exercise, and decreased range of motion. Radiology may reveal a bamboo spine from ankylosis. Complications may result from fracture of few spinal segments, which can lead to cord impingement. Inflammatory bowel disease. Of patients with IBD, 2 to 20% may have an inflammatory arthritis in addition to GI symptoms. Reactive arthritis. Inflammatory arthritis as a reaction to prior infection. Pathogens include chlamydia and GI pathogens such as Salmonella, Shigella, and Campylobacter. Clinically, patients present days to weeks after instigating infection with a triad of urethritis, conjunctivitis, or uveitis, and arthritis, remembered by the mnemonic can't pee, can't see, can't climb a tree. Up next is the monoarticular diseases, starting with infectious arthropathy and septic arthritis. Given the severity of this condition, all arthritides affecting a single joint should be considered septic arthritis until proven otherwise. Septic arthritis is the result of joint space invasion by an infectious organism with subsequent inflammation. Infection typically spreads hematogenously, but direct inoculation may also occur, such as through trauma. Septic arthritis presents as a red, swollen, hot joint with loss of motion and inability to bear weight. Fever may also be present. Staph aureus and streptococcal subspecies are the most common pathogens. A synovial fluid aspiration is always necessary and will reveal more than 50,000 neutrophils. Gram stain or culture may reveal the causative organism. Treatment is with procedural joint washout and IV antibiotics. Failure to treat promptly results in permanent functional impairment and may even lead to sepsis and death. Disseminated gonococcus. Gonorrhea may produce a migratory monoarthritis associated with tenosynovitis and dermatitis. Urethritis may also occur. It is less severe but is treated similarly to non-gonococcal septic arthritis, including antibiotics and a possible need for joint washout. Do not confuse this with reactive arthritis, which presents with ocular symptoms. Chronic infectious arthritis. Disseminated tuberculosis, Lyme disease, and fungal infections may cause chronic monoarticular joint disease. Systemic signs will often point to these infections. Crystal arthropathies, starting with gout. Gout is uric acid crystal, which is monosodium urate, deposition in joints causing swelling and recurrent bouts of inflammation. The first metatarsophalangeal joint is commonly affected. This is called podagra but any joint may be involved. Gout is associated with hyperuricemia through decreased renal excretion of uric acid, increased production of uric acid, such as in chemotherapy, or increased ingestion of purines, such as in red meat, shellfish, and port wine. Acute changes in uric acid level precipitate flares. Diagnosis is made with needle aspiration of crystals that demonstrate negatively birefringent needle-shaped crystals. Negative birefringent crystals are blue when perpendicular and yellow when parallel. Treatment of acute flares involves NSAIDs and cultrocene. Long-term management involves dietary modification, decreasing purine intake, allopurinol, which decreases uric acid production, and probenicid, 
which increases uric acid renal excretion. Thiazide diuretics should be avoided because they decrease excretion of uric acid. Chronic gout may lead to uric acid deposition and tophi and joint destruction. Of note, Lichnihan syndrome is caused by an X-linked recessive mutation of HGPRT, an enzyme of the purine salvage pathway. Without purine salvage, uric acid builds up in the blood and urine, which presents as gout, mental retardation, self-mutilation, and uric acid crystal formation in the urine, which is found as orange-colored crystals that you can see in a baby's diaper. Now, pseudogout has a presentation identical to gout, but it's caused by deposition of calcium pyrophosphate dihydrite crystals, CPPD. Aspiration reveals positively birefringent rhomboid-shaped crystals. Positive birefringence refers to crystals appearing yellow when perpendicular and blue when parallel to the plane of light. Think P, positive for pyrophosphate and P, pseudogout. Pediatric conditions. Transient synovitis. This is joint pain and inflammation, often of the hip, causing limited range of motion. This often occurs after a viral infection. The difficulty of this benign condition is that it may mimic septic arthritis. In transient synovitis, unlike septic arthritis, patients are unlikely to have fever, leukocytosis, or elevated ESR. These patients can be treated with NSAIDs. However, if septic arthritis cannot be ruled out, a joint aspiration should be performed. Slipped capital femoral epiphysis. This typically occurs in obese children between 11 and 15 years of age. Typically, it presents as hip pain and altered gait secondary to slippage of the epiphyseal plate, that is the growth plate, in which the epiphysis remains in the acetabulum and the metaphysis becomes displaced. On anterior-posterior and frog-leg lateral x-rays, this appears as a so-called ice cream scoop slipping off the cone. Treatment involves surgical stabilization with pinning. If untreated, patients are at risk for avascular necrosis of the femoral head. Developmental dysplasia of the hip. This is congenital instability of the femoral head within the acetabulum leading to hip dislocation. Screening should be performed on physical examination of all neonates and may reveal asymmetry of leg creases. Clicks and clunks on forced adduction or abduction of the hip indicate positive Barlow and Ortolani maneuvers. Risk factors include female gender, family history, and breech presentation. Patients are often managed as with Pavlov harness. If left untreated, patients may slowly develop hip pain, gait abnormalities, or leg length discrepancies. Leg cavity Perth's disease. This is idiopathic avascular necrosis of the femoral head, causing hip pain and inability to bear weight. Patients are usually between the ages of 5 and 7 years. Don't forget that hip pain can be referred to the knee or groin in any condition. X-rays may be normal in early disease, so MRI may be indicated. Oskoch-Schlatter disease. Avulsion of the patellar tendon causing pain and tenderness at the tibial tuberosity. Avulsion is secondary to repetitive stress on the patellar tendon from sports or exercise. The typical patient is an athletic adolescent boy. Treatment is conservative and braces or cast are rarely required. Here's a list of other conditions, sort of hodgepodge that didn't felt elsewhere. Sarcoidosis. This condition is characterized by non-caseating granulomas in various tissues. It's more common in African-American women. 
Pulmonary sarcoidosis is the most common presentation, which can manifest clinically as shortness of breath and cough. Patients also present with erythema nodosum, and chest x-ray reveals bilateral hilar adenopathy. Labs may reveal elevated serum levels of angiotensin-converting enzyme, ACE, since ACE is produced within the granulomas. Symptoms may remit spontaneously, but severe cases can be treated with corticosteroids. Although almost every organ can be affected in sarcoidosis, the information in this section should suffice for your step one examination. Polymyalgia rheumatica, PMR. This is an autoimmune condition of adults characterized by pain of proximal muscles, the hips and shoulders, that is worse in the morning. Pain must also be accompanied by ESR greater than 40 and or elevated CRP levels. It is one of the few conditions in which the ESR may be greater than 100. Also consider osteomyelitis and temporal arteritis. Treatment of PMR is with prednisone. There is a strong association with temporal arteritis, so ocular symptoms and headaches may necessitate temporal artery biopsy. Polymyositis. This is a connective tissue disease of muscle characterized by weakness in proximal muscles. Polymyositis may present as difficulty ascending stairs or rising from a chair. Labs reveal an elevated CK level and positive anti-GO antibody. Muscle biopsy is diagnostic. Treatment is with steroids. There is an association with internal malignancy. Dermatomyositis. This is a connective tissue disorder similar to polymyositis, but with dermatologic manifestations, including Gotron papules, heliotrope rash, and shawl sign, which is an erythematous rash in the distribution of a shawl. As in polymyositis, there is an elevated CK level, and muscle biopsy is diagnostic. Compared with polymyositis, there is an even stronger association with internal malignancy. Mixed connective tissue disease. This is an overlap of diseases that may have features of scleroderma, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and polymyositis, but don't fit specifically into one diagnostic category. It's associated with anti-RNP antibody. Fibromyalgia. This is characterized by trigger point tenderness, fatigue, and joint stiffness, thought to be caused by abnormal processing of painful signals. On step one, Look for a patient with persistent pain despite lack of diagnostic findings except for tenderness over multiple trigger points. This section focuses on neoplasms of bone, starting with benign neoplasms. Osteochondroma. This is the most common benign tumor of bone. It's a cartilage-forming tumor that presents between 10 and 20 years of age. It's described as mushroom-shaped because of its cartilage-capped outgrowth on a bony stalk. Most commonly, it presents in the metaphysis of the distal femur. Malignant transition to chondrosarcoma is rare, and management involves simple excision. Osteoma. This is a benign tumor of bone that presents between 10 and 20 years of age also. It most frequently protrudes from the skull, and symptoms are related to their interference with surrounding structures. Osteomata are also found in Gardner syndrome, accompanied by multiple colonic polyps. Osteoblastoma and osteoid osteoma. These were originally thought to be variants of the same disease, that is, that a osteoblastoma was just a large osteoid osteoma, but they may actually be separate entities. Osteoblastomas have pain that is not relieved by aspirin, whereas osteoid osteomas typically are smaller and the pain can be relieved by aspirin or NSAIDs. 
Both are benign tumors of bone that present between, yes, 10 and 20 years of age. They present as localized and severe bony pain caused by prostaglandin production. Tumors most often occur in the cortex of the tibia or femur. Radiography reveals a central radiolucent nest, anitis, representing osteoid, with surrounding reactive sclerotic bone. A giant cell tumor. This benign tumor appears histologically as spindle cells with multinucleated giant cells. Its most distinguishing feature is a soap bubble appearance on radiography, which is a large, lytic, bone-destroying lesion without calcification. Malignant neoplasms of bone. Metastases. Metastases are the most common malignancy of bone. They occur most commonly from breast, lung, thyroid, kidney, and prostate. Breast, lung, thyroid, and renal cell carcinomas tend to be lytic. Prostatic metastases are blastic. In addition, multiple myeloma may present as multiple punched-out lytic bone lesions characteristic of the condition. Osteosarcoma. This accounts for about 35% of primary bone malignancies. Patients often present between 10 and 20 years of age with pain or swelling, especially of the distal femur. Note that this occurs around the adolescent growth spurt and most frequently occurs in areas of rapid growth. The tumor is composed of osteocyte surrounded by osteoid. Radiography reveals a characteristic sunburst pattern, which is spiculated calcifications, and Codman triangle which is raised periosteum in triangular shape. Because the bone is weak, it may also present as a pathologic fracture. These tumors are fast-growing and have a 60% five-year survival rate. They frequently metastasize to lung. Paget's disease is a risk factor. Chondrosarcoma. This accounts for about 30% of primary bone malignancies. These are slow-growing malignant tumors of cartilage, most frequently occurring in the proximal femur or pelvis. Patients are typically males older than 45 years of age. Radiography reveals bony destruction with calcified spots. Histology reveals gelatinous lobules of cartilage, local necrosis, and calcification. So to summarize, osteosarcoma has a sunburst pattern and a codman triangle. Chondrosarcoma has gelatinous lobules. Lastly, we'll discuss the Ewing sarcoma. This accounts for about 15% of primary bone tumors. It's a primitive neuroectodermal malignancy that often presents between 10 and 20 years of age. It manifests with localized pain and swelling, especially of the diaphysis of the femur. It's one of the few bone tumors that is more common in females. It's distinguished radiographically by its periosteal onion skinning appearance. Histology reveals anaplastic small blue cells. A combination of surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation therapy is often indicated. So the buzzword there for a Ewing sarcoma is onion skinning. Neoplasms of soft tissue. Lipomas. A lipoma is a benign proliferation of mature adipocytes, and it's the most common soft tissue neoplasm. It presents as a soft subcutaneous nodule. Malignant transformation is very rare, so excision is solely for cosmetic purposes. Liposarcoma. This is a rare malignant tumor of fat cells. Rhabdomyoma. This is a benign tumor of striated muscle. Cardiac rhabdomyomas are associated with tuberous sclerosis.
rhabdomyosarcoma. This is a rare malignant tumor of striated muscle, and it's found in the pediatric population. Okay, last section is the pharmacology section. We'll start with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, NSAIDs. NSAIDs interfere with the arachidionic acid inflammatory pathway by non-selectively inhibiting the COX-1 and COX-2 enzymes. COX is an enzyme that converts arachidionic acid into prostaglandin G2, which is eventually converted into the prostanoids, prostaglandins, prostacycline, and thromboxane. By inhibiting this pathway, the inflammatory, vasoactive, pyogenic, and painful effects are also inhibited. NSAIDs include ibuprofen, naproxen, catorolac, endomethacin, and diclofenac. Side effects include gastritis, gastric ulcers, and GI bleeds, secondary to inhibition of mucosa-protecting prostaglandins. Renal failure may also occur, secondary to inhibition of prostaglandins that physiologically vasodilate the glomerular afferent arterial, thereby reducing glomerular perfusion pressure. NSAIDs are contraindicated in pregnancy because they may prematurely close the ductus arteriosus. Aspirin. Aspirin is unique among NSAIDs in that it covalently and irreversibly binds COX. It also preferentially inhibits COX-1 over COX-2. Because most cells in the body can simply produce more COX enzymes, the overall effects are similar to those of other NSAIDs. Antipyretic, anti-inflammatory, and analgesic effects, that is. Platelets, however, contain no nuclei and are unable to produce more COX. Inhibition, therefore, limits their ability to form thromboxane A2. This antiplatelet effect lasts for the lifetime of a platelet, which is about 5 to 10 days. Aspirin is therefore used prophylactically in patients at high risk for thrombotic events and used acutely for the management of myocardial infarction. Toxicity is similar to other NSAIDs, but bleeding is more common. Aspirin is also contraindicated in children with viral illnesses out of fear of RISE syndrome which is characterized by liver failure and encephalopathy. COX-2 inhibitors. Constitutively expressed enzyme, COX-2 is a facultatively expressed enzyme found in inflammatory cells. COX-1 is maintenance and COX-2 is reactive, that is. COX-2 inhibition theoretically has the anti-inflammatory benefits with less risk of GI side effects from prostaglandin inhibition. COX-2 is also found in vascular endothelium and produces the antithrombotic prostaglandin I2. Selective inhibition may put patients in a prothrombotic state because of unopposed action of the prothrombotic thromboxane A2. Acetaminophen. This is an analgesic and antipyretic that functions by inhibiting cyclooxygenase in the central nervous system. Its anti-inflammatory activity is limited, however, because it's not active peripherally. Acetaminophen overdose is the most common cause of acute liver failure because of its toxic metabolite. The antidote is N-acetylcysteine. Glucocorticoids. These anti-inflammatory steroid hormones function by forming a complex with glucocorticoid receptors and activating nuclear transcription of anti-inflammatory mediators. Ultimately, they interfere with phospholipase A2's production of inflammatory cytokines. Glucocorticoids include hydrocortisone, prednisone, prednisolone, and dexamethasone. There are many side effects of steroids, including hyperglycemia, weight gain, moonlight facies, central obesity, buffalo hump, purple striae, 
osteoporosis, adrenal insufficiency, cataracts, and immunosuppression. Osteoporosis medications. Calcium and vitamin D. Adequate consumption of calcium and vitamin D may result in positive calcium balance and may slow or reverse bone loss. Supplementation is indicated for those with osteoporosis and inadequate dietary intake. The active form, vitamin D3, cholecalciferol, is preferred to its precursor, vitamin D2. Calcium supplementation may be falling out of favor with some practitioners. Bisphosphonates. This is first-line therapy in the treatment of osteoporosis. This class of medications becomes concentrated in bone and ingested by osteoclast. Bisphosphonates then prevent bone remodeling by inducing osteoclast apoptosis or inhibiting resorption of hydroxyapatite. Medications have the suffix dronate, such as alindronate, ebandronate. Bisphosphonates can also be used to prevent the pathologic remodeling of Paget's disease. They are known to cause pill esophagitis, so patients should ingest with water and remain upright after swallowing. Skeletal muscle relaxants. These are centrally acting class of medication that reduce muscle tone. They are used in combination with NSAIDs to decrease acute muscle spasm. Examples of this class medication include baclofen and cyclobenzaprine. Baclofen functions as a GABA receptor agonist in the central nervous system and acts analogously to benzodiazepines while producing less sedation. The mechanism of action of cyclobenzaprine is less clear. Side effects include sedation and dizziness. Gout medications. Colchicine. Colchicine is used in acute flares of gout. It acts by binding tubulin, which prevents microtubule formation and therefore neutrophil motility. Its action is thus anti-inflammatory. Because microtubules are essential for mitotic spindles, this drug is also considered a mitotic poison. This can lead to side effects such as bone marrow suppression and hair loss. GI upset, however, is more common. Allopurinol is used to prevent flares of gout by reducing serum uric acid concentration. It's not useful in acute flares. Allopurinol is a xanthine oxidase inhibitor, which prevents the conversion of hypoxanthine to xanthine and eventually uric acid. Methotrexate. Methotrexate is used in the treatment of malignancies. It acts as an inhibitor of dihydrofolate reductase. It's also used, however, as a disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug. It's discussed in more detail in our hemox section. TNF inhibitors. These biologic agents are used in the treatment of autoimmune conditions such as rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, psoriasis, and Crohn's disease. They act by blocking TNF-alpha, an inflammatory cytokine secreted from monocytes. Side effects related to impaired immunity. They include opportunistic infections and malignancies. Etanercept. This functions as a decoy TNF receptor, thereby decreasing the level of circulating functional TNF-alpha. Infliximab and adalimumab. These are monoclonal antibodies that directly target TNF-alpha, thereby decreasing its circulating levels. The mechanism of action of these biologic agents is hidden in their name. Internacept is a decoy receptor. Infliximab and adalimumab are monoclonal antibodies, MAB, M-A-B. Rituximab. This is an anti-CD20 monoclonal antibody, anti-B cell, used in the treatment of autoimmune conditions, often after an inadequate response to TNF-alpha inhibitors.
botulinum toxin, also called Botox. This prevents presynaptic release of acetylcholine at the neuromuscular junction. Without acetylcholine to stimulate the end plate, the muscle is paralyzed. Botox is used not just for cosmetic purposes, but also to relieve muscle spasms and dystonias. Botulinum toxin is produced by the gram-positive rod Clostridium botulinum. Infant botulism occurs when infants ingest the microbe, typically in honey, leading to colonization of the immature GI tract. The subsequent toxin formation leads to floppy baby syndrome. The adult GI flora is resistant to C. botulinum colonization, but the microbe may colonize wounds or form preformed toxins in home canned foods, in which anaerobic conditions permit bacterial growth. Foodborne botulism begins with GI upset and proceeds to flaccid paralysis, especially of the cranial nerves. Okay, that's the end of the musculoskeletal and rheumatology chapter. Thanks so much for listening. With that, we wrap up today's episode of the Crush Step 1 podcast. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, the publishing company behind Crush Step 1, as well as all of my other books, for allowing us to put out this book in podcast format. Thank you for joining us, and please check out our other chapters.